Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Brian Peacock here alongside the scout, Matt Williamson. You can subscribe to this show on all of your favorite podcast apps. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Matt, a must follow at Williamson NFL. Today's guest, Peter Bukowski. He's the host of Locked On Packers. We will get into this NFC championship game, but first some pressing news around the NFL. A little bit shocking, Matt, the retirement of Luke Keekley. Yeah, very shocking. And then I kind of let it settle in a little bit, and part of me was sad because I loved watching this player. And frankly, I think he's the best second-level defender since Ray Lewis. Even though his career is cut short, I think he's an easy Hall of Famer, um, a potential like all-decade team, or certainly like an all-decade team type of guy. Um, frankly, an all-time great. And part of me, though, is also kind of relieved because his play slipped a little this year, but he wasn't really to blame, but as much as the Panthers – down the stretch, I mean, their run defense was so bad, and it looked like the team had kind of cashed it in a little bit after a rough year. But more so than that, he's had some very scary injuries, you know, over the last few years. And I, I'm, I'm glad he's getting out now and be remembered the right way. And I'm sure he'll be happier when he's 50, 60 years old and his body's taking a lot of abuse. We've talked a lot about the Hall of Fame, and we will continue to talk about the Hall of Fame later this week, probably tomorrow, get deeper into that. But I think with Luke Keekley, it gets a little bit more difficult because it's a lot easier when you are the best player at a position and then you have a long career and you're able to stack up your statistics versus the all-time greats. Then you say, okay, slam dunk Hall of Famer. Luke Keekley for a time, was the best linebacker in the NFL, but retiring in his late 20s. And it reminds me, actually, of Patrick Willis, who they both yeah. played eight years in the NFL. And, and really, it was Patrick Willis handing the baton off to Luke Keekley as the best linebacker in the NFL. And agreed, Patrick Willis agreed. had some foot injuries late in his career and decided, you know what? I'm not going to be that ridiculously dynamic linebacker I used to be. That's how I want to be remembered. So for Patrick Willis, for Luke Keekley, it's about their peak, how long their peak was, how good they were because I really grouped them together, and I would put them both in because of how good they were at their peak. But I don't know if the Hall is going to see it that way. And even though they had very similar careers, very similar numbers, it seems like maybe it's recency bias that Luke Keekley has a better shot than Patrick Willis. Maybe. I Personally, I think Keekley's the better player. But I'm glad you brought Willis up because it blows me away that he's not a finalist, for one thing. I wrote an article right before the season started projecting who would be this year's, you know, um, class, you know, Paul Amalo, Fanica, Hutchinson. And I put Willis in as one of my guys. I mean, he was one of, he was like my fourth or fifth you know, guy to get in. And I, it, I think he not being a finalist this year is criminal. And frankly, I think he's better than just about all the finalists, except for maybe two or three. It's interesting because here Pro Football Focus had him as their best cover guy, and that includes corners and safeties. I mean, well-known as super smart, calling out the opponent's plays before they happen, unbelievable recognition skills, superb, superb athlete, tough leader. I mean, I really think he's one of the best linebackers that have ever done it, and that's not knocking Willis at all. I just pumped his tires too, but mm -hmm. I just think Keekley is an easy Hall of Famer to me, and Willis should go as well. 
instincts were amazing for Luke Keekley. You could sort of just let him go and let him do his thing. You did sort of see the taper off this year. And I love when guys go out on their own terms, go out physically in a place where they're not just completely beat up and on their last limb. But I do respect the guys that play until they're dragged off the field, too. And so I, I, I could see both of those. And you hope it doesn't hurt Hall of Fame chances for guys like Willis and Keekley just because they didn't play until the very, very bitter end. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. That position always seems to have the number one dog. You know, like, even before Butkus and then going through Lambert and Singletary and Erlacher and, I mean, there's Lewis. There was always a true stud at that position pretty much since I can remember football. Great career for Luke Keekley. Sad to see him go. Hope he gets the accolades, and I think he will in the end. we got to keep it moving here, Matt. Fantastic guest on the line. Peter Bukowski. He is the host of Locked On Packers. You can find him on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Peter, we've been close friends this season. It's the second time, round two of 49ers Packers, but we've got some more questions for you here on the show, and I know Matt wants to pick your brain on the Packers going into this NFC Championship game. So thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. The 13-3 Packers... Going, what a wild season this has been. A 13 and 3 team going on the road in the playoffs in the NFC Championship game. First of all, underdogs by seven and a half points. Where is this team for you compared to some other really good Packers teams we've seen in recent history with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback? Well, it's a it's a weird team because you know we've seen uh, you know flawed teams led by Aaron Rodgers have postseason success. You think to that that 2016 team that run the table. And I think it's easy to forget now that because the, the 2011 season happened and Green Bay went 15 and one, that the 2010 team we remember as a great team, but it really wasn't. That was the sixth seed in the NFC. They had to go on the road to win three straight games, really four straight if you include the Super Bowl. Jamon Williams mentioned that in the locker room. He said, he was asked, you know, what is it going to be like to have to go win the 49ers house to go to the Super Bowl? And he said, last time we won the Super Bowl, we went to everybody's house. <laughs> and they were, they were able to do it. So, you know, I, this is a this is a team that has not been great in the regular season, has not inspired a lot of confidence uh, from the fans, from the national media and the Packers players and coaches seem to feed off that doubt. It's something they bring up all the time. And when you're someone like Aaron Rodgers, who, you know, amplifies every perceived slight possible it's uh, I think I think you saw a lot of the, the joy of proving the doubters wrong on on Sunday against the Seahawks. They would love nothing more to do it again this week. That really is who Rogers is. I mean, it goes back to being sitting in the green room and, you know, Farve and every step of the way. I mean, he really is. Me against the world mentality. Huh? Yeah. And, and there's the, the quote that's been resurfacing. You know, he was asked about. Um, you know, the 49ers passing on him and, you know, are you sorry that, that they passed? And, and he said, not as sorry as they're going to be. And this is, <laughs> nice. he hasn't played a snap in the NFL yet. So, uh, you know, that, it's just, it's just who he is. He plays with a chip on his shoulder and that that's, uh, it, it hasn't come out the same way we thought it might given the, the drama that ended last season. I think a lot of that has to do with some inexperience in front of him, the, the lack of playmakers on the outside, but Rogers hasn't been his best either. We saw something close to uh, the best version of Rogers against the Seahawks. And if that's the, if that's the quarterback green Bay is getting this week, look, they absolutely have a chance to spring the upset here. 
Hey, real quick, I mean, I was in the war room the the year that Rodgers and Smith got drafted. I was with the Browns when we had the third pick, and we had a significantly higher grade on Rodgers than Smith. We ended up taking Braylon Edwards, who was the first guy on our board at that time. But I gotta say, I watched a lot of Rodgers tape just for fun. He didn't throw the ball then like he does now. It, it, nobody's changed more from college to now than Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and I don't think Mike McCarthy gets enough credit for that. I mean, we only think of the negatives when it comes to the end of that relationship. But you look at the beginning of the Green Bay Packers tenure with Mike McCarthy, he revitalizes Brett Favre's career, who is aimless and, and sort of going through the motions with Mike Sherman. All of a sudden in 2007, they go, you know, spread five wide receivers. And it was it was like, wait, what is what is this? And all the while, not only is he revitalizing Brett Favre's career, he is reworking Aaron Rodgers' mechanics. They're working footwork. They're working uh, weight transfer, all of this stuff. And behind the scenes, Rodgers is doing it too. There's a really great anecdote in Bruce Feldman's book um, on, on quarterbacking that Aaron Rodgers would see what Brett Favre did in practice, the ridiculous off-platform, falling away, body tilted the wrong direction, feet not set. And he said... I want to drill that because Brett just did it. Brett could just play that way, but Rogers turned it into a skill. He, he got with his, with his personal coach and trainer and they put together drills for him to work on making throws off platform, making throws with your feet set the wrong direction, making back back foot throws, making throws, backing up, making throws, rolling left, rolling right to, to get his body used to, doing what what I think is an underrated part of playing in the NFL and that's playing off platform and off schedule because the best the best quarterbacks can do both Patrick Mahomes Russell Wilson Deshaun Watson those guys are special because of what they can do off schedule and on schedule and and Brett or uh, excuse me Aaron made it a skill he did it like Steph Curry did it shooting 30 30 footers it's a skill for Steph and it's a skill for Rodgers not just some preternatural ability that he has more Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers coming up. Peter, we talked about the transition from Aaron Rodgers, college quarterback to pro quarterback. What are we seeing now in the later portion of Aaron Rodgers' career? Who is he today, and who do you see him becoming as a quarterback going forward? You may see a quarterback who's more efficient as he gets used to the Matt LaFleur system, but he's going to be a guy who holds the ball and wants to create down the field. Now, that is different from last year in that last year everything was off platform everything was was out of the flow of the offense because the flow of the offense itself was a huge problem you're you're playing you know a bunch of rookies at that time now it's second year players and undrafted free agents guys like Jay Kumaro and Alan Lazard and Rodgers I, I think felt the need to do everything himself he likes the scheme. He likes the philosophy that Matt LaFleur has. He likes the collaborative nature of it, that, that really cool sluggo route where they faked the slant flat, which is a concept they've been running in Green Bay forever, and they got the Seahawks on it. That was a Rodgers idea, something they had under Mike McCarthy. said, if we get man coverage, I think we can beat them with that. That relationship is, I think, only going to continue to blossom, and in – if, if they can get him another playmaker or two and everyone gets comfortable with the system, this is the way Aaron Rodgers wants to play. It's either the ball is right out or he gets to hold and take shots down the field. That's the way that Rodgers wants to play. And when they have the playmakers to, to do a little bit more after the catch, to get some of those receiver screens or the slants 
or the jet motions to, to create a little bit more uh, better opportunities on third down, then you can create those shot plays to Devontae Adams on double moves and Alan Lazard's on deep posts to beat quarters coverage. I mean, there's a lot of different things that they can be doing that they just don't have the personnel to do right now. But this is the way Aaron wants to play, and I think it's going to allow him to play you know, maybe longer than we thought he could at a high level. Peter, this is somewhat of a, a Cowboys question. You brought up McCarthy earlier. We were talking passing schemes, and Mike Lombardi recently wrote on The Athletic that a big reason why the McCarthy era was such a simplistic passing game, and it's not 100% the reason, but the Packers didn't explore free agency back then. So mm-hmm. there was a bunch of young receivers that come right from college and have to get thrown into the mix, and – you know, McCarthy might be capable of much more in Dallas, but it also kind of leads me to the group of receivers they have now. They're besides Adams, they're a bunch of young guys that don't quite know what they're doing. Yeah, it's not a coincidence that the Mike McCarthy offense worked at its peak when they had Craig Jennings and Jordy Nelson and Donald yeah. Driver, James Jones. It was an offense, and, and Ryan Grant, who was who was in that early on, and then eventually, um, you know, unfortunately, his, his career ended. He said the Mike McCarthy offense is best when you have guys, when you have playmakers on the outside, it can look really good. And, you know, that that maybe seems like an oversimplification. Any offense can probably be good if you have a lot of good players in it. But it relies on the quarterback and the receiver uh, be on the same page in a way that um, you, know, you can't always be with young receivers. Right? Doug Farrar talks about the Mike McCarthy offense like a dance. If you're not in sync, it's it's a ballet. If you're not in sync with the music and not in sync with your fellow dan- fellow dancers, it's going to look ugly. Mm. And I think a little bit of of the failings of Mike McCarthy was not being able to adapt to his personnel to say, okay, we need to find ways to to scheme these receivers open, make make things a little bit easier on the quarterback who's not having to pick out matchups and and read defenses on every single play sometimes. Let's just have built-in concepts. I think the Patriots have done it as well as any. All three receivers on one side are doing something to create a matchup for the receiver on the other side, and that's where the ball is going. You're not relying on you know progression reads every play. The, the Packers offense this year was supposed to be set up to mitigate the issues that a young receiving core would present them. I, I don't know that they've done a great job with that, but I think – uh, they were a little hamstrung. Equinemia St. Brown, who's one of their most talented receivers, goes down in the preseason. Geronimo Allison has not looked anywhere near as good as he did before the Achilles injury that ended his season last year. And and they haven't been able to get production from uh, a tight end group where Jay Sternberger, their third-round rookie, also got hurt in the preseason, and, and that put him behind. It's been Devontae Adams or bust. When Devontae Adams got hurt, they started relying more on Aaron Jones. And I think that's a formula that can work. Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, and Aaron Rodgers, that's not that much less than a team like New Orleans or some of these other teams that are still alive who are, you know, looking at, you know, the the Titans. It's not like they have myriad weapons out there. It's Derrick Henry, it's A.J. Brown, and a a lot of guys, and they're making it work. So I, I think it's something that Green Bay showed on Sunday can be a winning formula for them against a defense as good as San Francisco. I mean... Look, that's why they're tough. (laughs) 
One strength the Packers have, and we saw it against the 49ers the first time in Week 12 when these two teams played, is the pass rush and that defensive line, specifically Zadarius Smith. Is that the place that the Packers could potentially win this game? Yeah, and, and it's one of also the wrinkles that that Mike Patton has introduced since these teams played in Week 12 because we saw it a couple times. In fact, the first time Zadarius Smith lined up over the center in that a gap mug look, the the center like the center quarterback exchange was fumbled, and they didn't go to it a lot after that. But it's something that Mike Patton was like, "Hey, I think this works." And what it does is a couple things. Number one, it's it solidifies an interior defensive front that Mike Patton likes to play small. He likes to play with just two true defensive linemen and those uh, rush ends, presses Darius Smith, and then Blake Martinez. It's a it's a pretty small look with a hybrid nickel linebacker safety type player. Whether it's Ibrahim Campbell, if they get Raven Green back from IR this week, it's going to be one of those two guys. If you now move Zadarius Smith inside and they're playing a little bit more three down linemen with those two rush linebackers, especially against a team that likes to play out of base offense personnel as much as the 49ers do, now you're you're not only solidifying that middle of the field, but now you you have to make the offense wonder where the pressure is coming from because Preston Smith can drop in coverage. Are they bringing five? Are they bringing four? Green Bay is the most effective three-man rush team in the league because they'll show five, six, even seven guys at the line and then only bring three. So that is something that has really changed their defense since that Week 12 game. Green Bay is averaging uh, defensively, I believe, under 14 points a game allowed. And that is one of the big reasons. They're, they're a little bit predictable by formation and by personnel, what kind of coverage they're going to play. They like to play man in 11 personnel, and they like to play zone out of bigger personnel. Well, that's, that's all well and good if your quarterback can ID coverage, but can he identify who's coming and from where? That has been a key wrinkle as, as we look toward this game on Sunday. It's not something they've seen. And if there's a place where the offensive line is vulnerable for the 49ers, it's along that interior. It hasn't mattered a lot this year. Brian, you and I talked about it on our show, our crossover. But it is something that I think is, is certainly a, a key thing to watch for how and where they deploy the Darius Smith on Sunday. That's a great point. And the quote, Smith brothers get a lot of attention now, rightfully so. I read on ESPN this morning, according to their advanced stats, that Zadarius was the most double-teamed edge defender in the league during the regular season this year. So he's, he's doing it despite getting a lot of attention. Yeah. But you and t- still you created the most sacks in football. That same, yeah. same, uh, that same thread had that on there. It's pretty remarkable what he's done. But I wanted to turn the attention, like you said, the the, the vulnerability potentially of, of the Niners' interior line. I think Kenny Clark's one of the best young players in the league, and people don't understand that this guy is a superstar in the making. Yeah, and and his his run over the last six weeks has been his best stretch of football of his career, I think. And it, it is the kind of thing that that fundamentally changes what Green Bay is able to do because if you go back to that that Agab mug idea of, of Zadarius Smith standing up over the center and then Kenny Clark is there. How do you decide who you're going to bring, bring help to? You can't bring help to both guys. And then of course, if you do now you've got a free rusher and that has opened up Kenny Clark to return to form. He was dealing with a, an injury in the middle of the season and wasn't quite the same 
But when, when you look at what they've been able to do just the last couple of weeks with Kenny Clark, I mean, he's constantly creating pressure. Um, he, he's ha- he has five sacks and 27 pressures in the last six games for a nose tackle. I mean, that is big time production. And I think that is a place that when you can put those two guys together, it, it's going to create problems for San Francisco. It's just, is it going to matter? Because Jimmy Garoppolo gets the ball out of his hand as fast as any QB in the league. And you mentioned how the Packers love to use later, faster personnel. Without Clark, it doesn't fly. Exactly. He is, he's the reason it works because he can eat up multiple blockers inside and keep Blake Martinez free or keep Ibrahim Campbell free to make plays. When he wasn't playing his best, that's when this defense looked at its most vulnerable. And, and the game against the 49ers in Week 12 was, like it was for a lot of Packers, by far his worst performance of the season. I want to talk a little bit about the secondary of the Packers and specifically Jair Alexander next. At the beginning of the season, like maybe the first three weeks into the season, I was thinking, okay, here's the next great cornerback in the league. And he was playing out of his mind. And then, man, the roller coaster of a season, I was looking at the PFF grades for Alexander for the season. It was like mm-hmm. 92 in one week and 45 the next week for a coverage grade. Where is he at in his development? Is it a, is it a situation where he's too aggressive, gambling, getting burnt on that? Where is Jair Alexander and really the rest of the secondary for the Packers, if the 49ers have to go to the air and the front for the Packers is able to stop the run on the 49ers, how confident are you in that secondary, specifically Alexander, to uh, shut down that 49ers passing game? Well, Mike Patton has been reluctant to match. Uh, he did uh, give Jair Alexander the Terry McLaurin assignment. He uh, he gave Jair Alexander the Emmanuel Sanders assignment in the Broncos game, not the 49ers game. And in each occasion, Jair rose rose to the moment. Uh, Matt Schneidman for The Athletic wrote a great piece. If you look at Jair Alexander's production in prime time, uh, it's been when he's been at his best. And yeah, he got beat up by Amari Cooper a little bit. He'll give up some plays, um, but it's all uh, aggressiveness. The fumble that he forced in the Seattle game. How many cornerbacks are going to go in and lay a hit on a tight end that's going to force a fumble? He plays so much bigger than his 5'10 frame. He plays with an aggressiveness and a swagger. And even when he's not making plays in in his coverage area, he's making plays for other people. He's an aggressive tackler. It's a really good matchup for him against Debo and, and Sanders just because he has the short area quickness. The question is going to be, where does Kevin King play? And, and who do they match him up with? And, and more to the point, I think, is I mentioned that, that Mike Patton has been a little predictable about formations and personnel groupings. They like to play a lot of zone out of heavy personnel. Kyle Shanahan used that to his advantage in Week 12. The, the big George Kittle 61-yard touchdown was against uh, zone coverage in a look where Green Bay has had problems all year. The free safety cuts the crosser in the backside corner has to fill on the, on the backside, and it's a long way to go. I wonder if they if they tweak some of that. It was something in Seattle that they played really disciplined against those shot plays. Um, Jair Alexander is not asked to do everything, and I think that's the best place for him right now. Because if you're if you're just saying if you're just going to play cat defense, you got this cat and you got that cat. It, I think it undercuts where Jair is at his best, which is being able to make plays out of his zone, being able to aggressively um, attack ball carriers and, and read the quarterback. 
and he's a great young corner in the making as well. But I think kind of in the Kenny Clark vein, the safety tandem, the new guys, wow. I mean, talk about unsung heroes, turning a weakness into a strength. Obviously, you got George Kittle to deal with this week, but those safeties are really intriguing. Yeah, Darnell Savage was on the the Pro Football Writers Association, um, their all rookie team, and and so was Elton Jenkins, the the left guard for the Packers. And Darnell Savage, his speed and playmaking, you know, he hasn't he doesn't have a ton of interceptions, doesn't have a ton of splash plays, but just his speed and being able to cover ground has been so valuable. The the reliability of someone like Adrian Amos, and one name that that I don't think your listeners are going to be familiar with, it, who is worth watching on Sunday is Shannon Sullivan. He was a, a discarded cornerback in Philadelphia, was really, frankly, not very good last year. He's come in and he's played a nickel-dime safety hybrid role where he can play in the slot, he can play outside, and they put him on tight ends at times. In man coverage, he played a lot against Kittle in Week 12. If, if they decide to go to some of those dime looks, in, in third and longs or in passing situations, I think you're going to see Sullivan on Kittle a lot. And his ability to make plays and be reliable has been a big part of this defensive turnaround the last six weeks for the Packers. He made a big interception against the Cowboys um, in a sort of lurk coverage mode. And, and he's, really, he's really made himself indispensable as a sub-package defender for the Packers. Talk really quick about Alan Lazard and there's mm-hmm. Kumaro and obviously aside from Devontae Adams, the Packers have had a rough time trying to, to figure this thing out with the other weapons on offense and thought coming into the year it was going to be Marquez Valdez-Scantling and I think MVS was still sort of the number two guy when the 49ers and Packers faced off last time. I loved what I've seen from Alan Lazard so far, sort of picking him up off the trash heap. I thought he was an underrated guy coming out of the draft and potentially even a, a, a tight end in the NFL if he bulked up a little bit. But the athleticism is there. He's got some ball skills, and I feel like just some confidence he brings that we weren't seeing before. Yeah, there's no question about it. And at one point um, in the in the in about the middle of the season, he was in the top 10 in yards per route run. Um, he isn't anymore because he's just been on the field too much, but – you know, he's still his yards per route run this season was still ahead of guys like Sammy Watkins, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Corey Davis, and I think that speaks to his ability to make plays down the field. He had the big post route for the game tying touchdown against the Lions, the go route in in the Monday night game against the Lions. That allowed him to to I think that was the game tying, or at least it was the a big play in terms of cutting into the deficit. He's been really important for this team. And if he if he can't go, we don't know his status as of right now, dealing with an ankle injury after the Seahawks game. But his development has been a big part of their success this season, um, especially as the passing game has picked it up a little bit over the last few weeks. And his ability to make plays down the field, I think, can't go unnoticed. Um, he, he actually had a, a better... If we're going to do um, the football outsiders numbers, better DVOA and DYAR, so yards above replacement and value over average. Um, his season, as an, by an efficiency standpoint, was better than guys like DK Metcalf, Adam Thielen, Robert Woods, um, and even Odell Beckham, uh, which I think speaks to his ability to, to make plays down the field. It's, it's been a fascinating thing to watch, and, and he believes it. He thinks he deserves to be making these plays. That is Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers. If you want to hear more about this matchup and get our official predictions, 
Check out the Locked On 49ers, Locked On Packers crossover also dropping today. Peter, really appreciate the time, and I expect another Packers 49ers classic. Uh, they always seem to be in the playoffs when these two teams meet. Indeed, and and of course, you know, my my hope is that it doesn't end the way that the uh, the young to Owens game does. <laughs> Peter, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon.